So, um, right. do we want to start? Do, the, do you want to do the intro, Darren? Since you've read it, read the bio, and I haven't. Yeah, I can do. I can do the intro, and then do you want to open up with the first question to Stephen around a bit about his background and what he's been doing and stuff like that? Now, look, Stephen, if you've if you've got a lot to say, just say it because this show's about you, not us. So. When yeah. we had Ed Rivera on, Ed just kept talking, and we're like, "That's fine." Trying to stop Ed from talking was the problem. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a problem. No, norm, normally, I'm quite. Uh, normally, I do my best to be succinct, but it's been a long week, so uh, do not be shy to cut me off if I start rambling. <laughs> just go for it. Just go for it. All right. Well, well shall we? St- do you want to do? It? Shall we start? Let's do it. Is everyone okay. ready? Cool. Right. I'll get, do you want me to go with the intro? Oh, I thought you were doing it, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Do you want me to go, yeah? You guys yeah, want me to do it? that's what happens at the start. You do the intro. Okay. Well, we'll Fuck do that up. then. Fuck's <laughs> sake. Uh, okay. Welcome back to Podcrastinators Season 2. And in this episode, we have we are really pleased to be joined by New Zealand Comedy Guild nominated Best MC for 2019, who has performed comedy around the globe and likes to make comedy hooks for your ears with his absurd yet empathetic wordplay and views on life. Returning from seven years of performing in Chicago and around the USA, he now warms up audience for TV Freeze the Project, Seven Days, and co-founded The Dose Dice Show, which was New Zealand Comedy Guild nominated best live show of 2019 and 2020. Not only that, host New Zealand's number one Arnold Schwarzenegger fan comedy podcast, I'll Be Back Catalog, which was New Zealand Comedy Guild nominated best podcast 2017, 18 and 19, as well as performing stand-up across New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Stephen Lyons. Holy, that definitely makes it sound like I should have given you a much shorter bio. No, well, that was there was plenty in that. It's good that you mentioned your award nominations. That's the trick is I don't want to tell you about any awards that I've won because that's just that's not that's not how I am as a New Zealander. Is like I know I know all you want to hear about is because the great thing about an award nomination is it means someone's good. But they're not that good, so you don't have to feel like, you know, like fuck you. You're like, oh, yeah. well, he did his best. I mean, it wasn't the best, but he did his best. So you know, game of two halves. I'm just counting. Are you a seven times New Zealand Comedy Guild loser? Uh, I I think it is up to about that. Yeah, um, but well I done. don't I don't think about it in numbers. I like to just think that I'm a loser. And then, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put number on it. <laughs> Okay, um, listen, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you here. Um, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on the show. We we are very excited. Um, You're certainly um, certainly one of our targets for getting on here. Um, I thought I'd better not leave a too long pause there um, (laughs) between target and getting on. First of all, though, and it might sound a bit, you know, maybe a, a British guy doing a podcast in New Zealand shouldn't ask this, but you've got an unusual accent, Stephen. Thank you. Would you like to talk a little bit with us or and our listeners about where you're from and what the path was that led you to the to the world of comedy? Yeah, so um, so I I was born in California to New Zealand parents 
um uh both my parents grew up in new zealand and um yeah lived most of their lived all of their youth in new zealand um i moved to new zealand when i was about four years old and then i moved to chicago when i was 28 um and so the one of the reasons i have a, a bit of a weird accent is uh and you, you might not know this but americans they're not the best with foreigners Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and so when I was living there, um, it's a combination of it was easier to have an American accent when I lived there because it just meant that you didn't have to say everything three times so that people could understand you. And then also I worked um, uh, in commercial theater. I was doing uh, a, a lot of commercial improv theater around Chicago and traveling around the U.S. And there's just no time in an improv show to explain this guy's from New Zealand. So he sounds like this and you're going to, and it'll be fine. It's not, not every scene's about New Zealand. It's just, he's a New Zealander who happens to be your husband in, in this. That's okay. So it's always easier for me to be, have an American twang. And then, uh, when I came back to New Zealand, I just don't, I try, I don't really think about it. So if I have to think about it, then I, I can swing to either side if I need to, but this is my in-between, which I'm told some people really don't like, uh, and other people are indifferent to. And the second one is much more ideal for me. Yeah. Fuck those people. Yeah. <laughs> you be, have the accent you want to have. And I, I think, yeah, it works on stage, I think, as well. Especially when you get 10 people in a row who are Kiwis or British going up there. It is something that is, uh, for me, it is not a bad thing to have on stage because, firstly, it's true to who I am. This is what I sound like. Uh, you know, some people think that I put it on, which is hilarious to me because that sounds <laughs> exhausting. Uh, <laughs> like, because, you know, like I, I can do an American accent. Uh, to Americans, they don't like it. Uh, but I just, I, I like to just, I, the more that I perform on stage, the more I'm trying to be closer to myself and discover more about myself. And one of the things that I learned was to, if you're worried about what your accent sounds like on stage, you're not present with that audience. Yeah, yeah, totally. So how did you get into comedy? Where did that come from? Uh, I think for me, um, growing up, uh, I was a middle child, which is a pretty classic, you know, uh, comedian situation. Um, but for me, what my older brother was very, very smart um, when we were growing up and my younger brother uh, was special needs. And I think that somewhere in there, it kind of um, made me like want to, you know, create joy in my family and to try and bring people together. Uh, and I was very lucky I got to be a child actor I did like some commercials oh, and wow. uh, extra work when I was um, a kid um, you know so uh, I mean I think everyone out there could remember my para rubber ad oh uh, yeah uh, bloody uh, I think we all recognize me from <laughs> riding a bicycle wearing uh, tiny gumboots uh, to be fair, the gumboots were the correct size for my body. I was going to say, how old were you feeling that one? <laughs> I think that was when I was like five or six. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 <laughs> and I, I just, I, 
I loved I loved something about uh, whether it was the escapism or the the joy, um, the pretending. Uh, I did drama all through high school, and um, yeah, I I started doing improv about a year and a half after I graduated high school, uh, and yeah, it's been a crazy journey. So it's it's been a part of my life for um, longer than it hasn't. And did, did the improv come first or did the comedy come first? Uh, improv definitely came first. But uh, when you say comedy, then we, you know, there's that chance to open that Pandora's box of what is comedy? Um, <laughs> so uh, improv definitely came a long time before stand up. I loved stand up when I was a kid. I used to, um, you know, I, I think when I was like 16 or 17, I got my first Mitch Hedberg CD and Oh, it just, it's just, it's like smart, dumb fun. And it was so good. <laughs> and um, so I, comedy had always been a part of um, my life. Uh, you know, me and my brother used to watch Blackadder and um, In Living Color on Friday nights. And I think I was so lucky to grow up in New Zealand where, what a weird combination. <laughs> like that was that was given to me that they were like oh by the way on tv one there's gonna be black adder and when that finishes jump on over to tv two and in living color is going on and it was like wow there is you know yeah and kids in the hall and a bunch of shows that i didn't really register how iconic they were at the time it's in the hall and that was amazing and that was um that's something that people don't a lot of people don't remember nowadays but that was like one of the first times I actually thought, I mean, I, I've only got into comedy recently, but watching that when I was a teenager was one of the first times I thought, God, comedy is like, you, it's so simple. Like it's, you can have genius <laughs> ideas, real genius ideas. You've got to have the ideas, but once you have the idea, it's so simple to carry out. Like the, um, the one that always stuck with me was the, the guy who would like crush people's heads. <laughs> crush you, crush you, I crush your head. <laughs> yeah, and it was just the same joke every time, just yeah. done again and again. And it was just funnier every time you saw it. <laughs> because, yeah, it's just, I mean, good dumb fun. I love it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I think that that was something too of like, yeah, I, I'm a child of divorce and whether that was something that brought me joy and brought me comfort. Um, but I definitely know comedy and especially comedy tv shows were a big part of my youth and it was something that me and my uh, older brother shared as um as a way that we actually connected so i think that it was uh, quite unifying and really nice for me in that way mm. so um doing improv in in chicago we, did you have any dealings with the second city improv group because obviously they were yeah so i worked with I worked with a, um, so I, I trained at Second City. I went through um, a few of their uh, classes and um, I was also lucky enough to work on um, a branch of Second City called Second City Theatricals. And they actually had um, groups that were out on cruise ships. So I worked, I did two contracts working on Norwegian cruise lines uh, <laughs> around um, the coast of America and um and Mexico and Bermuda and performing second city sketch comedy as well as improv. And it was just, wow. So surreal. And awesome. like, uh, it truly is. And it's something where, because Chicago 
is so immense and the comedy scene there is so incredible that even at the time it was really hard to go oh my god like i'm just i'm some weird kiwi guy who's on a cruise <laughs> ship getting paid to perform sketches that were written by you know people like stephen colbert and tina fey mm. you know uh you know they send you dvds of like the original performances uh because they have it all archived and i got a dvd and they were like all right great you're this guy and it's steve carell and you're just like <laughs> and even the something i really found beautiful and wonderful about second city too is uh when we went into the rehearsal process uh they wanted you to make the characters your own they weren't like hey turn up and be steve carell they were like no that's not what this is about the sketch is good the sketch works what's your take on it who's who uh, like how is your um what's your point of view on that character which was really fun the first contract i did with second city i had a different accent in every sketch that was in that <laughs> show uh, uh, like a different american accent and it was a really fun challenge for me what was cruise ship life like uh, it's not for everyone. Uh, my first contract was an absolute delight. And my second contract was definitely a struggle for me. And that is there's so many, uh, there's so many variables in cruise living, you know, beyond, like, including where you're cruising to, whether you have an overnight, you know, what the hotel manager aboard the ship uh, is like. Um, and and uh, I mean, I was blessed with all of the cast that I got to work with. And yeah, I still stay in touch with a lot of the people I performed with because you're there for four months mm. at a time. Uh, and you're kind of the support network for each other in a lot of ways. And, and what was it like? Because did you perform a lot of the stuff over and over again as the cruise cycles kind of went round? Or yeah, it's a, it's a Groundhog Week situation. So you, uh, so a lot of, and the cruise, they vary in length depending on which one you're doing. But, uh, the, the general one is like, you'll have a week and in a week you'll do, uh, two shows in a, um, 800 seat theater, which is, uh, second city best of it's an hour long sketch show. And, uh, then you'll do two improv shows, one for family, one for adults, and then a, um, a murder mystery as well. Um, and then there's workshops and there's other things that pop up around that, that, um, that, you know, can be fun. Uh, on my uh, second cruise, I ended up hosting a panel show, um, which was really, really fun. So we had, uh, and you would be guests on um, Dancing with the Stars and things like, that. Oh, I think it was called Cruising with the Stars. And you would, they would have, you know, audience members would get paired up with one of the professional dancers. And, oh, and so you could be a <laughs> panelist on that. And it, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, there's also a lot of downtime. There's a lot of sitting. There's a lot of, oh, where's the Wi-Fi? Because I want to find out what's happening on Breaking Bad. Uh, if that's <laughs> very specifically dates how long ago it was. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I, it was such a privilege and just incredible too, because you're dealing with a lot of those audiences are they love comedy you know they want to have a good time they want and they want you to succeed like mm. it was amazing when people would see you out and about and they want to talk to you about your career and your path and your uh like what made you happy um 
and it felt a lot like you know they were they because in america they're like this could be the next big thing like this could be somewhat yo know, and they've seen you so they you know they're not going to talk to you about it if they didn't like what you did uh, yeah. but so it's quite exciting there were you know i mean there's a bunch of you know bunch of people in america who have photos with me on cruise ships which they're probably gonna <laughs> hand over to their kids in 20 years time and their kids will be like who is why are you with this dude what who is this guy and they're like, oh was he famous in the old days <laughs> mm-hmm. well they might and be what, saying they might be saying oh my god you're with stephen lyons yeah, and there are, um, I mean, there are people who have done the cruise ships and are now on Saturday Night Live and things like that. Um, so it is, it's a really, uh, it's an incredible stepping stone. And, and uh, uh, Darren, you were talking about, is it repetitive? And it's like, yeah, it is. But that's one of the myths, I think, that sometimes we tell ourselves about comedy is that it shouldn't be repetitive. <laughs> but, you know, like, at the same point, you know, if, if, and I'm not a sports guy, so this will be a weird metaphor to use, but if you had a, a, um, a guy who's kicking goals in a rugby game and he nails it every time the exact same way, no one's going, ugh, bit shit. Don't know why they let him put a pair of jockeys on. Yeah. Exactly. So, and it's also much like stand up comedy. If you're not there, if you're just going through the paces, that's it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how good that script is. If you're not present with it, yo, the audience is going to be like, yikes. <laughs> so, yo, it can be fun and you can get a tan and you can get drunk and you can party all night long, but it's it's still work. You still need to turn up and mm -hmm. uh, be good. <laughs> So this is a bit of a bit of a semi reveal as well for our listeners, and um, we're probably lo I'm looking for a bit of advice and maybe Matt as well. Me and Matt are just about to embark on the COVID Theatre 101 course. We're going to give a shot to improv comedy and see for any good. Have you got <laughs> any advice for us? I think uh, so. The biggest mantra that I brought um, back with me that I, I love to share with. Uh, people doing improv, whether they're just starting or they've been doing it for a while, is um, is follow your joy. Um, and then there's always the old Keith Johnstone uh, uh, mantra, which is make your partner look good. And it is it's such a joyous art form when you approach it with an op open eyes, open heart. Um, and it's improv can be very different to stand-up comedy and um mm. improv theater is hugely different to improv comedy too so the skills that you learn they're all gold you know they're all so exciting and i was very lucky to go from improv to stand-up because it meant that i had that experience and that joy of being on stage i mean i'm not <laughs> i'm still learning stand-up <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing is I don't I don't really perform improv anymore so it's, it's kind of weird being back in New Zealand and being like I swear I used to be good uh, <laughs> I, I was better than than this if you saw me do stand up I swear uh, I can't stand by that claim but I think um, follow your heart 
take notes, take notes, take notes, take notes. Uh, so many people I see go to class and they're like, Hey, that was a fun class. And then they go home. Um, <laughs> that is the, in the moment that's great, but know that if you want to learn a thing and everyone's different, so you might have power brain to which uh, I say more power <laughs> brain to you. Uh, but for me, one of the, one of the best resources that I have now is a huge stack. Uh, and I'm looking at it, even though no one can see me cause we're audio, uh, it's, but it's over there. It's, I have a huge stack of notebooks and they've got exercises, ideas, um, feelings, all of these different things, uh, because it might, you, every class there will be at least one nugget that could change how you perform, whether it's improv uh, or stand up. And it's so great to be able to get those nuggies and be like, nom, 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 you know, and have them for future because we get swept up. Yeah. You know, and it's so good to go back and, and learn them. Or yeah, I think them. you're so, you're so right about the note taking as well. And it's something that, doing stand-ups really taught me because I'm not very good at note-taking, but I was actually driving along in my car the other day with a work colleague and I pulled over because we'd been talking and it had given me an idea for a joke. And I was like, I've got to write that down right now. So I just pulled over and they were like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got to write this down because otherwise I won't remember it. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> I mean, there's techniques and things that you can do um, to try and help you remember things. Uh, but yeah, once you forget a joke, I still think it's in there. If it's your point of view, mm -hmm. you'll always be able to refine it. But it's so great to have those little nuggets. I mean, even things like uh, Google Docs, uh, Evernote, are in those are incredible resources yeah. uh, to have. Uh, but realistically, I, I still love, love, love just my paper notebook. And just that idea of, because I still have my notebooks from, you know, when I first started doing comedy four years ago and, uh, they, they're not good. They're not good. Uh, but you might have four pages of writing where you're like, yikes, is that what I thought? But there might be one line where you go, oh, that's a premise that I can actually work off yeah. of because there's nuggets of truth in there. Uh, and I think good, good stand up, like good improv, um, is going to be based in truth. And one of the things which I really love about stand up is stand up. It celebrates your truth. What is your truth? And that's something which I learned doing improv in Chicago was celebrate your truth and share your views. And some of the shows that we did were so dumb fun, but they were built <laughs> of this place of this is a story we want to share. These are opinions that we think need to be talked about. And oh my God, to be able to have a political discussion through a surreal metaphor, you know, <laughs> on stage in front of 50 people is, uh, is just what a privilege. Uh, is there a reason why you've backed away from improv? Uh, so for me, I, so I'm, it's really tough relocating. I mean, I moved countries twice in my um, adult life and beyond moving countries, uh, which can be hard financially, socially, and all of that, you know, I don't know if you've tried to make friends in your thirties, but uh, yeah. it's uh, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it can be tough. Harder. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing about improv is, you know, improv is it's it can be a solo sport, but it is a lot harder. And it's also not where my joy is uh, as a solo sport. I love I love improv. I miss improv. But if for improv to fly, you need to be with your people. And um, so it's something where uh, I got to perform a show at the end of last year, 2020, uh, The Dumpster Fire, and uh, incredible cast. Uh, it was organized by a wonderful improviser, um, uh, Keith Patterson, who is uh, mm. a member of uh, Casual First Date and Waiheke Comedy. And he put it together. We had uh, Donna Brookbanks was in there. Greg Ward was in there. Uh, Gareth Blackler, uh, Rebecca Stubbing, just uh, like, oh, what a, it was all these delightful energies. And it was such a dumb, fun, great show where uh, we just very cathartic because the whole concept of the show was that we were burning down 2020. Um, so the audience, <laughs> when the audience came in, they wrote memories of 2020 and they stuck them onto these backboards and all of the scenes in the show, we would take one down, we would read it out and then we put it into this beautiful little like prop dumpster fire we had at the front of the stage. Uh, and then we'd use that to inspire a scene. And oh, it was just, it was so fun to like, be jumping around with people and uh, exploring these ideas uh, without anyone worrying about being right. You know, it's, yeah. we were all from different groups, from different training, from different backgrounds. And you're just up there being like, yeah, how did we feel about this thing? I get the feeling with improv, you've just got to let yourself go. You can't really have any inhibitions when performing. I, I, will, I will agree and disagree. So I think that the danger is like improv can easily become self-serving right and it's still an art form and it's still a performance so you still have an agreement between you and the audience that you're going to keep them safe uh i was lucky to to train uh at a theater called the annoyance in chicago and they had something where they uh i think they put it really well they were like um you can say and do anything on this stage and we will have your back as long as you can back that up so as long as you can defend it. So, you know, because um, you can play misogynistic characters on stage. You can say really out there things, but you better have a point of view and you better be punching up, not down. All right. Mm -hmm. No one needs you to get on. And that's the only part where I go, you know, like, because we, we love that idea of improv, right? I'm just going to let it all flow out. And it's like, man, some of this stuff needs to stay in. Some of <laughs> yeah. these ideas are, but that's also why, people go oh you have an improv rehearsal that's not how that works and it's like no you need we need a safe space to explore this stuff you know to get some of this stuff because improv is like it's not therapy uh it can be but let everyone in the audience know that that's your intention yeah they're paying to be your therapists yeah, I mean, I believe that's playback theater, right? They talk to you, they act out something that you went through, and that's a different skill set. It doesn't make it any yeah. less improv, uh, but it it's different to come and see my improv comedy show where I, you know, cry about how my dad didn't hug me enough. And it's like, <laughs> <"Ooh."> <laughs> you know, 
whereas if it's a story uh, about a teddy bear whose maker doesn't pay him any attention he's like but i'm the teddy bear and the maker's like go out and find a child and you're like i want you and then you're like oh okay it's a metaphor and we're doing these things and we can tie that up okay cool cool so i get the feeling that stand-up's more your life now than improv uh it is i'm I mean, I, I can do stand up. <laughs> like, I, I love stand up because so when I when I lived in Chicago, one of the big things that was was keep keep pushing, keep doing stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, I, I put on a semi improvised absurdist parody of Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I uh so the reason uh oh it was so much fun and what an incredible cast and um my buddy Scott Curry who um devised it with me uh it was amazing and so the skills that were in there was like this shopping list of stuff that I am uncomfortable with so uh you know <laughs> it's music so I had to sing it was we had choreography which i'm very uncomfortable doing um you know we also had audience interaction but with a tight time frame so you had to be very particular about how much audience interaction you did i performed the whole thing in a suit with a wig wearing teeth paint which i don't know if you've ever worn teeth no, paint before <laughs> yeah i didn't even know it existed uh but basically you buy a thing that looks like twink and it's to whiten your teeth and you paint it on so i was in full like full makeup as well completely tanned up uh and it was such a fun show so crazy and that was at a theater called mcl that um was established by an incredible music director steph mccullough who uh is just a wonderful asset to chicago and um yeah it was just such a privilege to get to do that and the we had different performers came and were guest appraisers and so they came in yeah. full character and the characters were bonkers nuts like just the weirdest most fun you know like you know how appraisers on antiques roadshow yeah. are like generally yeah. you can see them yeah they didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> we had we had like a, uh, one of them was the world's oldest living rocket um and so she's in full glitter she's dancing we had a guy who was orphaned when his mom deserted him at a halloween store so now he just puts on halloween every day of the year <laughs> yeah we had a wizard called spider tooth who uh had a spiders growing from his teeth <laughs> so that's the absurdest part and it was so fun and it was great to have that structure that was there why are we talking about this <laughs> how do we get onto this? Because it's fun, and because you mentioned the Antiques Roadshow, and having having been to see the Antiques, having been to several Antiques Roadshows um, in the UK, it's uh, it's. <laughs> It's yeah. part of my life. So something in it speaks to me, I think. And that's the, one of the biggest privileges of living and performing in Chicago is the support for the arts and for comedy there is just beautiful. Uh, I had friends who ran improvised Double Dare. I don't know if either of you had Double Dare when you were kids, the TV show. Uh, they did an improv version of that. They had a massive following, uh, big enough that the actual 
host of the TV show Double Dare from the 90s came and guest hosted the show. Like that's how beautiful and crazy Chicago (laughs) is. If you have an idea for a show, if you're like, hey, I want to do Full House the musical, bad news, someone already did it. Like, uh, by the way, it was also very fun. Die Hard the musical. Oh, what a blast. (laughs) It's rule, rule 34 of comedy. Any, any comedic idea or musical idea you can have has been done. Yeah, but it also hasn't been done by you. And that's the that's beautiful true. thing. So, cause we get, we get upset cause we're like, oh, this has already happened, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's the same with writing jokes, right? Like, am I not meant to write about my childhood because most people had a childhood? So yeah. Oh, Stephen, I heard your jokes about your dad and, uh, uh, you know, I actually heard someone else had a dad too. So mm, I don't know. That's very true. That's, that's very true. Next time someone criticizes one of my dating jokes, I'm going <laughs> to, but it's also, we go great. Is, is my take on it. Am I putting enough of me in it? Mm. And that's something I'm very much still learning. I'm only three, four years into my stand up life journey um and uh and i ended up here by accident you know like i i was so scared of stand-up comedy i found it so intimidating and by the time i was 10 years into doing improv the idea of like getting up and doing stand-up it was horrifying yeah and it still is i still am scared i get every time i get up and do a show i'm still like oh god why (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because improv, you're there and it's moving and shaping and we're all on the same page. Stand up, you're like, hey, you know what I think's funny? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you because I wrote it down yeah. and then I memorized it and then I told it to someone else and they were like, yeah, that works. And now I'm here and there's 40 of you and you don't agree. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> which is and that's the danger right and you see it you see it when comedians, especially if you have a joke that you know works and you're like hey here's a joke that works and the audience goes oof not like that it doesn't and then people get angry <laughs> like you idiots and it's like yeah some, sometimes sometimes we're that's the idiots fun. yes I, uh, I was at a bar last night and um, that exact thing happened that someone who had stuff that they dropped all the time that always worked just absolutely did not happen. And they were besides themselves. Like they were kind of like, I don't have any AA material. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, one of the things I love, love, love about the journey of stand up is so many different skills, different approaches, different joys. Um, You know, like I, I, I really do. I think that one of our jobs as comedians is to be able to perform stand-up. You can write stand-up. That's different. I'm not good at writing stand-up. I would argue that I am a lot better at performing stand-up than I am at writing it. Uh, and the problem there is uh, not a lot of karaoke stand-up shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not a lot of like, oh, man, did you see Stephen Lyons doing his... Uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> like, like, no, cause I didn't want to, um, and very valid because it is, it's, it's not that kind of art form. You know, uh, we, we want to know that it's your experience and then it's your life. And, um, and that's something where 
I'm learning and I'm always working and I'm always trying to get better. And just coming back to New Zealand and having the chance to connect with New Zealand audiences has made me a lot better and time and age. Uh, it gets easier to go. It's okay. If you don't agree with me, mm. you know, I'm, this is, this is what I believe to be true. And a lot of the times audiences, either if you have a weird thing that you believe to be true, <laughs> the audience either laughs because you're a weirdo or they laugh <laughs> because secretly they too. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's interesting what you say about writing, uh, writing your own jokes. Cause you do hear about, cause there's, and I think we'll come on to this in a second. Um, obviously cause you've done some of this, but you get famous standups. They'll end up getting TV presenting jobs. And obviously, you know, they're doing a daily show or a weekly show. Obviously they're going to need loads of stuff written for them. And, you know, you'd have to be mad to think that anyone would be coming up, you know, John Oliver's coming up with all his jokes off the top of his head. But uh, you do find out about some of these famous stand-ups that actually get their stand-up material written for them. They've actually employed joke writers. And it's that was actually quite an eye-opener to me. I didn't actually realise that until re relatively recently when somebody, I can't remember who, defended um, accidentally stealing a joke because actually one of their writers had stolen it. <laughs> They're like, look, I didn't steal the joke. I paid a guy to steal the joke. Yeah. I didn't pay him to steal the joke. I paid him to write it. He just, you know, copied it. Yeah. I think it, well, it went, uh, the idea of people writing jokes for comedians definitely in modern, in the modern version of stand up is a big no no. But it's also gets real ambiguous, right? Like, because when you're hanging out with your friends, uh, and sometimes we make friends doing stand up, I know, uh, mm. you might tell a joke and one of your friends will give you a tag where they're like, oh man, you should say this. Or, yes. oh, it was really funny if you say this. You know, where do you draw the line? Are you going to go thanks, but no thanks? And then if at some point you ended up, you know, I don't know, say making $300,000 to do a show, would it be weird for you to go, oh my God, it'd be great if I could give my buddy 15 grand you know and he did that for some of my jokes and then where is the where he's like oh actually i have this joke that's not working for me but it'll work for you so yeah, yeah. and i you see it in the scene too where people gift jokes to each other uh yeah. and i still feel really weird about it i feel like um you know when uh when you write a joke and then someone has a tag for it that you know you're like oh that is so funny and way better than what I wrote. Um, and I have, you know, like I have a couple of jokes where friends have been like, man, this would be a great tag. And I use them because my job is to give the audience a good time. But every now and then, like the backup, every now and then, every freaking single time, it, it twangs <laughs> in the back of my head where I'm like, am I, did I lie to them? And it's like, you're not lying because it's, as long as it's you believe in it and it's your point of view, uh, and if someone talked to you about it, you're not going to go like, that's mine. Me, 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 my, me, I wrote it. Um, I if you're wondering, that was, uh, that was Brian Regan's me monster, uh, in the tiniest oh. version, <laughs> me and my, and my jokes. And I write all the jokes and you're lucky to be here and listen to them. <laughs> Maybe we could solve that problem. If we had a comedic game of secret Santa and we just, <laughs> yes joyous uh there's i mean there is this shows where you do the joke swap um and things like that um there's oh, lots really? of fun 
fun formats that you can do. New Zealand, we're we're very young when it comes to comedy, and um, you know, as a country, uh, our comedians are at such an amazing level. We've so so many ridiculously talented comedians. In fact, it's infuriating. I wish some of them would leave. Uh, yeah make some yeah. more room for us who like our mediocre comedians so we can get a bit better um but it's uh it is kind of surreal um where was i going with that why did i bring that up uh, no we were talking about writing jokes and stuff for other people and yeah just the i mean oh audiences because audi- right. the audience level is like um in comedy in New Zealand, we're still getting to that point where audiences get it and they know mm-hmm. what you're doing, uh, which is why like anti-comedy or alt comedy is it's starting to 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 peek through. And some of our um, our best comedians right now are alternative comedians. You know, they're incredible performers. You know, some of our wonderful deadpan comedians like Ray O'Leary, um, uh, you know, just brilliant writers. Um, mm. But I guarantee you, they still encounter those audiences where the audiences are expecting, hey guys, you, 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 you ever notice, you ever, you, you guys, uh, you ever, you ever taken your kids down to the park, having a great time? Yeah, and when someone comes out with the opposite of that energy, it can be jarring for some audiences. Yes, and that's yeah. not the performer's fault. The perform and it's uh, it can be frustrating. Is the wrong word, but it can be a bit of a bummer when you know someone is killing it, and the audience is yo, and it's not the audience's fault either. Like. No. Because you have to, American uh, and British stand up is in their bones. Like this is this has been part of their culture for so long, and yeah. we're still, you know, like we've the progress we've made on cultural cringe in my lifetime has been incredible. Uh, even just in the seven years that I was gone, um, wow, the transformation that happened in New Zealand comedy uh it was just beautiful and the amount of comedy shows that are on tv right now the amount of writing jobs that are around is it's epic and it's terrific and it really helps sustainability um and then it's but it's one of those ones where it's like how do we how do we move faster how do we get you know how do we get past that point where new zealanders go well of course we only have one comedy club in auckland there's only two million people (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's like dude, that's a lot of people, guys. Like, yeah, you know, and that's not to say like that there's a monopoly. It's to say let's get more people. Let's get you know how do we get more? You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, I like comedy, but I don't like leaving the house. Get get out of the house. Go and see some comedy. Uh, unless you're listening to this overseas, at which point, d- put a mask on, get vaccinated. <laughs> World's crazy right now. <laughs> But we do, we need, we uh, like, we need and we love audiences and we, we want them to like, comedy can feel like a very self-serving art form, but the vast majority of comedians want to give an audience a good time. They want to share their life and their experience with an audience. Um, and, you know, so it's, just about going how do we how do i connect with them how do i find you how do i give you a good time 
I love that. One comedy club for two million people. If someone is listening overseas, they're going to be like, my God, that comedy club is huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, when I was touring in the U.S., uh, you're going like I'm going around tiny towns, you know, so you'd be in a town with you know, 100,000 people and they're like, we have seven. Uh, and you're just like, how? You know, and the, the trick is when I say because the number of comedy clubs is not um, indicative or is not the, the thing. The thing is the amount of people wanting to see comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, uh, we're still getting to that level where, I mean, I remember when I was in my twenties and people would go to comedy just so that they could tell their friends at work that they did something on the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) And then because of cultural cringe, they didn't want the comedians to succeed. They wanted to be, they wanted to turn up at work on Monday and people would be like, what did you do this week? And they'd be like, Oh, bloody went to a comedy show. (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, Go, like Netflix, I think has helped quite a lot mm, to definitely. educate people. Yes. Uh, and then it's also, but it also has that danger of like, I don't need to see comedy because I can watch John Mulaney on Netflix. And that's where we go. Oh, how do we remind people that like, you know, if we think about sports, you know, <laughs> there's not that often that people go, Oh, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, tell you what, I was just watching a rugby game from the from the 60s. Oh, just brilliant. Yeah, like you want to be, you can do that and people do that and I'm not saying don't, but also people go and watch live games, go and watch live comedy because it's it's an experience. I think some of us too still have that worry that if you go to a stand-up show, you know, it's going to be the 80s. You're going to walk in, sit yeah. down, mm. so, some, you know, some you know, got generic guy is going to walk out there and be like, oh, look at, oh, look at old shirty over here wearing his shirt like a piece of shit. <laughs> Everyone look at shirt guy. Fuck him. Like, oh, fucking shirty McShirt. Oh, fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And or even majority- worse, or even worse, be like racist, homophobic and all the rest of it as well, which obviously is a massive um, turn off to audiences. Yeah. And I mean, the, and the danger is, you know, when you when people start doing comedy, sometimes it is sometimes you know, mm. some of those open mics are a bit, you know, a mm-hmm. hit and miss. <laughs> Yeah, no disrespect to the people running them or the people performing in them. We're all learning, you know, Uh, and open mics are ideally a safe space um, for the performers and for the audience. Mm. I would argue even more importantly for the audience. Uh, But there's also that danger of people who go, oh, I want to see some comedy. I'll go to a free show. And then they're like, oh, that wasn't that great. And it's like, that's not fair. Like, I can't, I can't go, oh, I'd really love to watch the, the All Blacks play, but um, I'm pretty sure some kids are playing in the park. I'll see how they're doing. <laughs> like, that's not that's not fair to those kids or to the All Blacks. Right. Like, they're like, oh, we actually need those ticket sales to, to pay our dudes. <laughs> and those kids are like, why are you yelling? <laughs> So interesting question for you. Do you ever bring politics into your performances? Uh, when I first started, I was very adverse to bringing uh, how I felt about the world. Because when you talk about bringing politics in, it's like, do you mean like, oh, what's the deal with Jenny Shipley? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I think as, as I get as I get 
more comfortable with who I am as a human being, uh, the more comfortable I am talking about how I see the world. And that's only better for the audience and better for myself. Uh, the trick is when you get better at doing comedy and writing jokes, you will have some fun takes on it. And you realize that you're like, oh, you know, like I remember I used to be like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to tell people how I feel because what if they disagree with me? And now I realize like, oh, if they disagree with me, chances are they own seven houses. They <laughs> fucking drive white Audis that are on lease and they can just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And the majority yeah. of the audience, they, they are okay with it. I mean, I've done, <laughs> uh, so I, I've worked um, as a warm up for the project during an election, during two elections, because we had the American one as well. And it was really fun to just be able to hang out and talk about politics. Uh, I voted in America. I voted in New Zealand. And it, you, I think the, it's, it's important to me that people, that you're able to share that conversation, that you're able to, and I'm not changing the world, but if through comedy, you can share your point of view, then the hope is that maybe someone listening to it will have empathy will either feel heard or might possibly go actually you know what i don't think i need seven houses yeah maybe like one of the house <laughs> or maybe maybe i should drop the rent down a little because i'm doing okay yeah um or maybe maybe a white audi isn't the best contribution to saving the planet uh so and that's I'm not uh, at a skill level where I'm going out and people are going, ooh, but wow, there are um, some incredible uh, comedians who, in New Zealand who, who definitely are aspirational. Uh, people like Tim Bat, um, when I hear him, and especially, mm. I mean, he has his show coming up in the comedy festival, um, Classy Warfare, I think it's called. Oh yeah, my yeah. God, I can't wait. Um, and that is, I mean, I would love to get to that level, but it also involves a level of education um, and a level of, you know, of being informed. And I think it's, that's aspirational to me to get to a level where I can talk about things and discuss things with an audience in a positive manner. But I definitely nowadays don't shy away from it. And part of um, that is my improv background. Would you ever express your own political views through comedy? Or that's you... all I do. I don't think that's I'd express anyone else's. That's <laughs> no, where I, that's people. where I would disconnect. Because um, I have told political jokes, but you can't tell who I support by telling them. Whereas, like last week, we interviewed Richard Lindsay, and he's like, "I just don't get involved in politics. I don't really want it to be part of me." And and, and what we kind of said, you know, is that a fear of someone like going, okay, so you're a left-wingy or a right-wingy, now I'm out. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about by expressing a view because they always say a party's right, don't talk about sex, religion and politics, it kills the party. And whether people go, I go on stage and I'm openly a national voter or a Labour voter, does that switch off the audience off already if you're not careful? I would argue this because uh, as someone who dated uh, in America where they're like, hey, when you're dating, don't talk, you know, sex, <laughs> religion, politics. politics. Uh, I mean, you know, it's going to be hyperbole and ridiculous to say, but doing stand up is a little bit like dating the audience because you're getting to know each other. And, they're, mm -hmm. you know, and for, for me, 
how do humans connect? We connect through sex, religion, and politics. How surreal to cut that out of the narrative. And I'm guilty of it. You know, like my first multiple years of doing comedy you know i'm like i uh, wake up every morning to this gorgeous beeping sound and think geez that's pretty alarming and it's like, oh. <laughs> like yeah, yeah good pun Stephen. but what did people learn about you and what did they learn about themselves yo at which point very good entertainment not very good art uh and there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with that too right like you can go uh, I just want to give people a good time, which is why I think it's totally valid for someone to go, no, don't want it in my thing. Not going to talk about sex, not going to talk about religion, not going to talk about politics. Uh, I know for me, um, I was very PC. I was very vanilla for a lot of uh, my improv career. Um, and it's been so fun to go, actually, who I am is valid and how I feel is valid. And my views on, on those subjects is, is part of why I'm there. You know? And that's for me, because I'm not a great joke writer. <laughs> so my point of view is uh, who I am at the moment. Maybe I'll get incredibly good at writing jokes, or maybe I will have, you know, find someone and they'll write jokes for me that are very astute. Um, but at the moment, um, you know, because I also think it's about going past that surface level. If you're going like, oh, you know, religion's a bit shit. Yeah, that's not a punchline. That's like, like that's, you know, all you're doing is going, hey, you know, that thing that makes a lot of people happy and able to survive in this world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. It's like going roads. Roads could be better. You're like, OK, yeah. Hang on a minute. I'm sure that's one of my jokes. <laughs> personally, <attacked> <laughs> I think you're right. Though. It, does, it does feel like there's certain targets uh, and it is there's, there's the punching down targets, which, you know, everyone should avoid. But there's also the other targets, which is like organized religion or, um, you know, Mike Hoskins or whatever, which feel like very lazy targets almost. If you're not careful, you can construct really good, funny jokes about him. Lots of people do, but there's a lot of people that it's, they seem to use it as just a bit of filler to get yeah, to the next uh, one. It's not really. Well, a... And it depends on context too. Like, what are you doing? Who's there? So that's where I'd also say um, people who go, oh, I don't want to talk about politics. Man, yeah. I think part of being, uh, for me, when I perform, I want to I wanna perform for that audience in that room. Um, and it's not always uh, easy. And sometimes it means going, but it's, I think it makes you a good performer if you can go, oh yeah, actually this crowd does not want to hear this. Mm. Uh, I did, yeah. I, um, I performed my solo show Deep Cuts in Wellington um, uh, at the start of the year. Beautiful crowd, wonderful crowd, supportive crowd. But I'll tell you what, like if you're going to be mean to yourself in Auckland, you're going to get some good laughs. If you're going to be mean to yourself in Wellington, they are too nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like the jokes still get, the jokes get good laughs. But when you're like, oh, I'm a bit sad. They're like, what do you need? <laughs> you want to you're like, you're like, oh, no, no, I thought you'd laugh at my suffering. And they're like, no, this is Wellington. We want you to be okay. 
Oh, bless Wellington. That's nice <laughs> but it's really, it's, and well, that show too, I was lucky to um, tour in the South Island uh, this year. And it was amazing because when, when I walk out and I see that the audience, the average age is, you know, over 50, you go, me, self-depreciating humor hits differently with a different mm -hmm. audience. So it was yeah. a really cool feeling to be like, great, I know that I can skim over those moments more than I would to a younger crowd. Yeah. And then you feel like, oh, maybe I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe at some point I'll be good at this thing. So you're doing a lot of MC work? Uh, when I can, I love emceeing. Yeah. Emceeing uh, is, it's a real, it combines my favorite parts of improv and stand up uh, because you get to be present with a crowd. It rewards when you can be quick and yourself. Um, and, uh, and it's also really fun because there's a cool skill to a, a good emceeing of sneaking your material in. Um, and I think that that's something that has been something uh, that's something that for me is an exciting skill to work on where an audience doesn't know if you just said the thing or if you told them something you've said a bunch before. Yeah, that's interesting because me and Darren have just started emceeing um, a quiz, a pub quiz. And I've been deliberately doing that, like thinking about and we've only done it twice now and the first week. We kind of shoot, I, I certainly shoehorn some of my jokes in between rounds. And it was like, it felt to me anyway, whether the audience noticed, I don't know, but it felt quite clumsy <laughs> to me. And then the other day we did it again. And I felt like even then it was just a little bit more natural how I was able to slip, slip a couple of things yeah, in it's a It's a cool skill to work. Yeah. And that like, and, and building, you know, how do I have a conversation that just seamlessly Oh, oh, that was, yeah. Cause I think that that's, that's good emceeing work. And I was, I was, I got to emcee uh, a panel show in Chicago called just the facts. Um, uh, and it was so much fun. Uh, but the review, we got a really nice review and it said, it felt like you were hanging out at a really fun dinner party where you didn't have to speak. Excellent. And to me, like, I think good emceeing you feel like you're just hanging out. Like you're like, Oh, we're just hanging out. And then, you know, when, when you bring in, bring up the acts, Oh man, it feels amazing to set an act up to succeed, to create a safe environment where they go, I'm going to, and I'm not saying I always achieve that. Um, <laughs> but it's always, it's always my intention to make a space where performers can get what they need out of that show. Because every show is different too, right? Like if you're doing an open mic, yeah. then you might want to run new material. So it's great if an MC can set that up for an audience and uh, you know, where the audience knows this is not finished, but you get to see. It's a preview. You get to see part of this. Uh, and so the, t the thing that I like to remind audiences of is comedy's iterative. Because sometimes people don't know that, you know, is we, we do it once, we fix it. We do it again, we fix it. We do it again, we fix it. We fix it, we fix it, we fix it. You know, a good joke might need, you know, 10 times to be performed. It might need 100 times to be performed. Yeah, and I think that if an audience is on board, then, and they understand what they're watching, 
you know, uh, then they can enjoy it. It's like if you watched a cooking show and you didn't know that they were like, you were like, what the hell are they doing with the eggs? Where's the cake? <laughs> I wanted to see the cake. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're here to watch like open mics. You're there to watch the eggs. You're there to see them mix it up. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we're right now, we're at the prime time to be watching people mixing it up because you've got like the best comedians in New Zealand are, you know, they're cooking up their, co their comedy festival cakes. So if you're like, oh, it'd be fun to get out and see some comedy. Oh my, you can see some incredible. And then if you, if you like what you see, oh, it's so cool to see the start of someone's joke, go to their comedy festival show, see their, see what it looks like when it's finished. And it's so, this might be just the comedy nerd in me, but it's so cool watching like what it was to what it is, you know? And you might've seen like a, uh, I had a friend who he had like an eight minute bit where it was like, oh, I love this, but we both know this is not working. And to see him perform it. And then I left the country and then I came back and I got to see him do three it in three minutes and it was so good and it was just so cool it was it was like whatever the opposite of watching the Snyder cut would be yeah <laughs> you're like you imagine if they took the Justice League movie and they made it half as long and 10 times as good yeah <laughs> and you're right you go up in an open mic now and you've got you know, uh, Brendan Green, Eli Matthewson, Nick Rado, all working their uh, festival shows for free. Oh, and yeah. People can watch their, you know, these things being built for free. And that um, it, it's really cool, too, because, I mean, as performers, we really love it. And it's a privilege. You're getting to watch Nick Rado um, try out his and I'll put quotes in here, new material where he's like, and it is it's brand new material. But when you're so far from that point in your comedy career, you're just like, that's your first time performing this. He's, 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 oh, I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. Here's just five minutes <laughs> of solid laughs. And he's like, mm, there was 20 seconds in there that you weren't with me. I'll fix it. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Yeah, it's like, the, yeah it's me, just it's like, like oh, there was 20 seconds when you were with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's, just, it's like going up after uh, Brendan Lovegrove when he's doing incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've had to do that a couple of <laughs> yeah. times. Nightmare. <laughs> you're just like, you're just, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. But also, he's got 25 years. He's an amazing yeah, comedian, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we're... Commodity of words is part of the journey. You know, working out how to say something shorter, more succinctly, more connectively. Sometimes you'll have a joke that is hilarious, but the audience has no idea what you are trying to say. And, yeah. you know, and you, I've had jokes where a friend comes up and they go, yeah, we did not know what the point of view was or why you were telling us. And I was like, <laughs> what if I said this? And they were like, oh my God, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you just have to reword it and fix it. And yeah, cause there can be um, blind spots. There's, there can be pop culture things where you're going, you know, I thought everyone in New Zealand would absolutely love my North side of Chicago joke. <laughs> like, no, or even just checking in you know like i um 
I remember when I first came back to New Zealand, I had a joke that involved Farrow Fresh. Uh, I, I went to Wellington and at that, I don't know if it's changed now, but they didn't have Farrow Fresh. Uh, so, yeah. you, so it's worth So you're like, nah, 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 nah. and they go, we don't know the word. Cause you imagine someone just going out there and being like, you, you wouldn't even be surprised if you saw me at a Cosa Baranos. <laughs> oh, you guys don't have Cosa Baranos here? You don't have, oh, okay. It's kind of like a shit version of, yeah. Yeah, and then, you, then you have to explain it. Yeah. Uh, oh, don't mind me, Texas. I'm just going to give you four and a half minutes so you understand exactly what a pack and save is. It's one of the things that's good about COVID is actually because I started doing open mics before COVID and you'd get a room full of British people, like British people in their 20s and like all my material is fairly Kiwi-centric and I haven't got enough, ex- enough material to be able to switch. And I, I just remember people staring at me blankly when I'm talking about LMP and... <laughs> but that's, oh, I mean... Yeah. yeah, sorry, Stephen. Oh, yeah, I think that that's really one of the fun things for me about going back to the US, because I've got to go back twice to tour, is going, what can I take? You know, and, and mm. also what do you get to do? I mean, right. Like if you have a group of British people watching, you're like, Oh, I can't do the LMP material, but Oh man, have I got some incredible Yorkshire pudding stuff that I would not have been able to pull off otherwise. <laughs> oh, these guys are going to be on board for Jaffa cakes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a few, yeah, I could I do a few Jaffa cakes. The joke actually. <laughs> I remember one night being at Garnet station and there was about three or four acts had gone up. And the audience just were not buying it at all. There was no laugh. I can't remember who the MC was on the on the night, so I won't try and guess. But they then decided to do some real audience interaction stuff. And it turns out that every audience member they went to, they were like, hi, how are you? Where are you from? Argentina. Okay, thank you. Where are you from? Germany. Where are you from? Italy. And all of a sudden it started to dawn on everyone who was doing Kiwi-centric material. There was not a fucking Kiwi in the entire building. <laughs> Nobody understood what the hell was going on. Yeah. And there was, it was just one of those sort of, it was just after lockdown, I think, and all these people had just been trapped in the country. And they're like, we're going to go to a comedy gig. Uh, no New Zealanders allowed. Um, so just um, just <laughs> so you can tell jokes that we have no fucking idea what you're on about. <laughs> so it was uh, it was really interesting, unless you had someone that was really across the board they really didn't get it. And until the MC kind of started going, where is everybody from? Because <laughs> it kind of, yeah, like, yeah. Have we all just like gone to a different planet in the last month? Or it was, it was really <laughs> interesting. I think that's one of the fun opportunities as an MC too is sometimes we go like, oh, they're doing crowd work to fill in time because they don't want to do material. For me, I like I love it when MCs do crowd work because yes. we learn about the crowd. Yeah, and it correct. means that you have those moments where you might have a reference to something in Argentina in a joke, and you know that you can look at that person and you're like, you understand, and you're yeah. able to heighten it. Yo, like it makes a big difference to a comedy set if you've got 14 people there who are on a hen's night and all hate each other. Yeah, like it, it is. So it's worth knowing. And I think it's a fun and uh, it's a good skill to have as an entertainer to go, how do I change my set and make mm-hmm. this more accessible? 
And sometimes yeah. for a, like English as a second language audiences, it's just slowing down and yeah. explaining things. And sometimes the explanations are real. Like um, I, I have a uh, reference to Buck Shelford in, in a joke. Yeah. I did the same joke in America because I knew if I wrote a good explanation of who Buck Shelford is, <laughs> then it's a, then that's part of the comedy. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then perfect. I have it. So if at any point I'm doing a show and the audience looks at me like, what is a Buck Shelford? I can go, great. I've got this up my sleeve and now we're on the same page. So do you prefer stand up to emceeing and uh, do you prepare differently for both? Definitely. Well, I, uh, so when I emcee, normally I'll jot down some ideas of things that I want to talk about. And then I'll be present with the room and see what we, what we need to talk about. And then it's also like, for me, when I'm emceeing, I, as I say, I, I think my job as an emcee is to make a good cohesive night, you know, is to make sure that the audience, the, the audience are having a good time and that the acts are supported. Um, when I'm performing, do the work, <laughs> you know, yeah. you got 10 minutes, make, make them laugh, make them laugh. Uh, and I mean, I don't do a lot of pro shows, uh, so a lot of my shows are open mics and every open mic is going to be different. You're going to prepare for it differently because you have a different want, you know, and every room has a different, um, is a different resource. Yeah. You know, when you're doing open mics, every room can give you something different. And if you go to a room expecting something that's not at that room, you're going to start to get frustrated uh, and yeah. that's not the, that's not the fault of the room or anyone else's. It's just going, what have we got, uh, for a pro show? Um, I'll, you know, like it's, this is, this is the set that I want to do. And then being present with them, listening to the MC, um, at the top of the show and going and listening throughout and checking in, um, for me is really important, but that's also, I think because my material, is still not quite at a level still not my material's not at a level where artistically i can go hey you're gonna hear this and you're gonna laugh because it's great <laughs> you know, like i need to be present and i've started to do shows where i do no material mm. uh, because that's a skill that i have um is it always amazing not so far but so far, every time it's been good, every time yeah. and every time I get better. And the last time I did a no material set, I did 10 minutes at the classic and uh, I had callbacks. I had someone I saw a week later um, quote the show to me, quote lines. Out, and I was like, <laughs> I haven't I don't get that when I write jokes. <laughs> yeah i think so, i saw that one i think i was in the audience for that one i definitely did see you do one where it was no clearly no material to me but you know the audience <laughs> don't know that because you, only because i've watched only because i've watched enough people and, and including you doing stuff like that to know or to be able to make an educated guess it's probably no material but you could tell the audience couldn't tell the normal people in the audience didn't have a clue and sometimes they i mean realistic most audiences don't care no <laughs> yeah like 
most comedy audiences have have one intention and that's to laugh and if you can achieve that you know and that's where like that's why i love alternative comedy that's why i love like anti-comedy if you can make them laugh then uh then you've taken them out of out of the world you've taken you've brought them into a special place where you know there's not a global pandemic where there's not all of this stuff where the ice caps aren't melting and even if you're talking about the ice caps melting you're still if you're a good if you're doing it well you're taking them out of the reality of it and bringing them into a new reality you know are there solutions you know what does it look like you know i think one of my favorite things about you because i'm a big fan of watching you because I love your energy and you're all, you know, every time I see you, you're super energetic on stage, no matter what performances you are totally invested in what you're doing. And I love it. The other thing I do love about it is that you do so much different stuff. So if I reeled off four or five things that I've seen you like involved in, could you give us like 30 seconds on each on what they were (laughs) as well? The thing with comedians, it's kind of like a weird game. Um, Yeah. Tell us about your work. Um, the one thing about um, these comedians is they just feel that they've got to be stand-up comedians forever. And I think there's such a breadth of work out there that people can get involved in. And I hope that I've picked five good things here that are different, that really kind of, um, you know, show that what you've done and how you've been able to go between one thing and another. So if I start off a list, you, yeah, you okay to give us 30 seconds on what exactly each one was? Yeah. Do you want to, you give me the, you give me the name of what it is and I'll, I'll give you as succinct a description of it as possible. Virtually there. Uh, so virtually there was an uh, improvised video calling show that we started when New Zealand went into lockdown where performers around New Zealand, as well as the globe uh, hopped together on Facebook live and Twitch and we created uh, improvised video calls. So it was super fun. We'd get suggestions from the audience. I hosted it from The Void. Uh, and it had like uh, the motif for it made me really happy because it's a vaporwave motif. If you know what that is, oh, yes. I love you. If you don't, then Google it and you will either yeah. love it or be like, why is there a four frame GIF of Bart Simpson playing over this YouTube video for an hour <laughs> and 30 minutes? Um, and it was a great chance for us to bring people together when we weren't able to get on stage and to create together. And, um, there was a lot of technical hurdles that I had to get over. And also a lot of great stuff of people coming together. Like my friend, um, Carl Letcher and my brother, Mike Lyons, both, uh, when we heard that we were going into lockdown, they, um they pulled their spare computer resources carl built me a computer mike lent me a monitor um and a camera and uh you know and we whipped it around and they left it on the curbside and we didn't touch and i took it and put it in my car before we went into lockdown and so we had it and we were able to do it for um we did it for you know months and months of last year and it was a such a great privilege to get to perform with people from auckland wellington christchurch japan america england uh spain like so cool that we could all just be in uh a room and be virtually there for each other social improv improv now sin uh so sin um was a show that a friend of mine brett uh armstrong inspired with me is we wanted a chance for 
people in Auckland to be able to improvise together. So when I came back to New Zealand, it was still quite siloed. It's changed a lot over the last four years. Thank you so much. Yes, please. Uh, and so it was a chance for people to cross pollinate, to network, to connect. And it is a hosted improv jam where the audience are the performers. So if you want to get up and, and do some short form, like whose line is it anyway? That's what that show was all about. Uh, if you wanted to just sit back and watch and be like, what's improv? Perfect as well. And uh, we were lucky enough to do that at a few different venues, including Garnet Station. Um, and we actually did one a few weeks ago at Cassette 9, um, who a uh, quick plug for Cassette 9 is they have some amazing comedy that they're starting yeah. to put up. And I highly recommend going and checking out a bunch of the weird fun experiments that are going on there at the moment. Holistic comedy. Uh, Holistic Comedy is probably the most recent show um, that I worked on that's outside of the norm. And it was a, uh, a wellness comedy with a, from a wellness point of view. So we brought an audience into a wellness practice called um, Inspiring Wellness uh, that's run by the incredible Dov Phillips. And uh, he hosted a 25, 30 minute uh, meditation um guided wellness kind of seminar and then the audience went out they had some tasty snacks and kombucha and uh we changed the entire room around to be a comedy theater so we cut all the lights we put like stage lighting in we packed everyone nice and like uh nice and warm and we brought them back in and uh, we had uh, four comedians who performed a show and the twist is the comedians were also in the wellness session so we were all you know in a similar space which was really fun and that was part of the Auckland Fringe Festival. Two to go Deep Cuts. Uh, Deep Cuts was uh, my first ever solo show. Um, I don't know if I'd classify it as a stand-up show but it was a comedy show about all of the scars that I have on my body and it was um, debuted in the um, Auckland Fringe Festival at the Classic Studio uh, um, last year, at the start of last year, right before lockdown. And uh, it was an absolute privilege and a blast and scary as hell because it's just me. I set the rules. It's just me talking about things that have happened to my body. Uh, and norm before that, a lot of my comedy was very... Uh, gag based and external so it was a very mm. good journey to force myself to go oh my god I have to share stories about who I am and how I got to be here and last but not least one that a lot of people are excited that's coming back the dice show oh yeah yeah uh the dice show is oh man I it's I'm so I'm very lucky that I met uh, a performer called Mike Kevin, who is an insanely talented writer and performer. And um, we actually met at a workshop that was put on by seven days to help people get like, Hey, could you write for seven days? And we um, both really loved the way that each other worked. And so we put on a bunch of different shows uh, together, including a few podcasts and, we ended up, we wanted, we wanted to do like a show that we hadn't really seen in New Zealand. Um, and so it's a combination of improvised stand-up and panel. So uh, we have six performers. It's not, a, it's not a lineup. It's an ensemble. So there's six people. We've 
workshop the format for a year and a half now. We're still learning. We're still growing and exploring. And uh, basically, the audience turns up. Nobody knows what they're going to perform. They roll a giant inflatable dice, and that's how many minutes of stand-up they have to perform. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we chat about it. Uh, and so the, the, the panel section of it, we're not critiquing the set. We're not there to go like, hey, I think comedy is this. No, it's just a chance to riff, to banter, to be silly, uh, and to also find out things. Because when you're improvising stand-up, sometimes you're like, this is an obvious idea to me. And then the audience doesn't laugh and you're like, what? <laughs> and it's so great when people go like, hey, what what is... Uh, what is the candy bucket you're like oh your family didn't have a candy bucket you know there's a, there's a bucket in the kitchen filled with candy you're like no, my family didn't have a candy bucket. neither did mine but man <laughs> it, it, i can imagine so when is the dice show coming back and plugs we- plugs 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 uh <laughs> the dice show is uh returning um on the 23rd of april it's friday um and we are going to be at 8 p.m at cassette nine uh, we're so excited um our last show was canceled because that's when lockdown started and we've been trying to get the show back up uh but it's just it's hard to find a venue in auckland life is busy uh, mike had a baby shout out frank uh <laughs> and it's just really cool to have this group back together uh, and we even have a special guest. We're very, very excited to have Tim Bat performing with the show. Oh, awesome. Uh, and it's so great because Tim is, um, is such a seasoned and incredible uh, comedian that it's so cool watching his brain work, you know, and like, oh, yeah, this will mm, and this and this. So it's uh, we're very grateful for him to say yes to jump on the show. And we only so we only have guests when one of the ensemble isn't available uh so yeah. it's and it's always um such a delight to have guests on yeah and how much is it and where can people get tickets from oh full-on plugs i'm into yeah, it please, well, please, well, this is it. <laughs> tickets uh, tickets are only 12 dollars uh on event finder it's a bargain at twice the price uh we do have some <laughs> early bird tickets depending on when you hear this uh which are only 10 dollars what basically we we just want to fill the place we want to have fun we want you to come along um the shows it's never been about you know making money it's just about making good times and the cast is incredible uh we have uh, sam smith who's um the warm-up act for seven days and family feud uh he's written for wellington paranormal he's absolutely incredible uh hannah campbell becky umbers keegan govind uh i'll be there um and and, and of course, Tim Bat, and um, there's one person for each side of the dice, uh, and it's just going to be dumb fun, dumb good fun. Yeah. Pardon? I'm hoping to be in the audience. Well, that's not good enough. <laughs> it's not yeah, why would you even bring that up? <laughs> It's not even a commitment, is it? <laughs> no, I will. I'm 99% not sure I'll be in the audience. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, if I can be bothered, <laughs> if I can, if I can, thank you. That is what it is like to book shows in New Zealand. <laughs> if yeah. I can, I'll, I'll see. I'll see. We'll, if, we'll see. If, it's if work allows, I will be there. 
Yeah. <laughs> if, if anyone's, if you're listening and you're like, I don't quite get what the show is, you can go to YouTube and find the Dice Show NZ. And there's actually a couple of clips um, of, of some of the highlights of one of our shows. You can also find cool. the Dice Show on uh, Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously we'll all be there, right, Matthew? No, I will be there. You've convinced me. And um, I will put all of those links you've mentioned into the show notes as well. We're going to make it as easy for people to sign up and come along and see clips and stuff like that as possible. Yeah, get your tickets ahead of time. It's 15 bucks on the door. And, you know, so only oh. $12, $12 on event. Oh, Matthew, you're going to have to make a big commitment now. You know, right. you're a socialist. You're not going to want to spend 15 Exactly. Yeah. As, uh, as soon as I get off here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book the tickets. <laughs> keep an eye on the ticket thing Stephen. make sure he keeps his bet and if mm-hmm. not email him tomorrow morning and go matt you promised that you would buy a ticket i'll be there <laughs> i'll be there and if any listeners want evidence i'll be there in my procrastinators t-shirt oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah you do you got i love it branding that's what it's all yes. about absolutely um I've uh, I've got to go because I've actually I'm sorry if I've been a bit quiet during that I've um, been texting with a radio New Zealand journalist that I've got a ring for work for my day job <laughs> um, to do a little pre-record. Um, we still have an hour left. That's right. I still have questions. Oh no, I have questions still. You were meant to ask me about my dad and 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 how I can make him <laughs> proud. Oh, so your dad is he proud of you yet, or is he still ashamed? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that a bit? I can edit that out by the way. That's a bit posted about there. Wow, the, fa- of deep the fact that you offered to edit it out is way more harsh than the actual comment. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea, the idea that it would be so bad. Look, if we need to take this out, Stephen, I know that this is a touchy subject for you. Matt, have you got four minutes left for me to ask Stephen some questions? Yeah, some quick fire questions. Come yes. on, Matt. Yes. To or you just the- just get Matt to give you a bunch of uh, standard responses, and then we'll just That's edit right. them in. Yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. Stephen. Carry on. You're- I don't want to. I don't want to cut us off in, in mid flow. So, Darren, you ask those questions. Here we go, Stephen. You have gigged around the world. Where has been your favorite place to gig? um i i miss chicago and like and that's not even a fair way to answer that question (laughs) because it's so much like it's so clearly a question where they're like what is your favorite venue um (laughs) yeah that's coming (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like what about earth i love earth great place um yeah i'm i miss performing in chicago um my favorite my favorite place to do gigs is honestly i'm still so new to comedy that uh yo i i uh, anywhere anywhere that i can get on stage if you're listening to this and you enjoyed me then you know book me for a show like i um it's it's been a it's been a hard journey since i've been back in new zealand and um i'm very grateful to everyone who gives me stage time it's so competitive here uh, my favorite place to do gigs is on the stage if i can get on a stage and be with people uh it means the world to me that is a beautiful answer thank you <laughs> um i mean the classic <laughs> scott i mean the classic oh, i meant to say the classic <laughs> i meant to say the classic scott i'm so sorry scott, two million people are coming to your place please um who's the most famous comedian you've gigged with 
Uh, I was very lucky to get to perform with Colin Mockery. Um, oh, when wow. I was when I was with the Improv Bandits, he came over for their birthday, and uh, it was just such a privilege and a delight. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just what a, an amazing human being uh, who was just all about sharing joy and sharing the stage. And um, I, I can't say enough nice things about the time that I got to spend with Colin Mockery. One of my childhood yeah. comedy heroes. Yeah. And he's so, I mean, yeah, he's just, he's very accessible, very lovely and a, a gorgeous upbeat guy who uh, we walked off stage and we were hugging and having a great time. And he was like, Hey, I, I'll be back in a minute. I just got to, yeah, I'll be back. And he just walked straight to the back door and he spent 30 to 45 minutes straight off stage, just hanging out with people, taking photos and uh, <laughs> was, you know, was just an absolute delight. And even just the, uh, you know, the fact that um, the bandits managed to organize him coming down here was an incredible privilege. Wonderful. Don't know if it's the same answer. Who's your favorite comedian? Either someone you've modeled off or someone who's just damn outright funny. Uh, I, like I say, I grew up with Mitch Hedberg. He'll always mm. have a place in my heart. Just brilliant, hilarious. And um, and he's someone who didn't let his uh, anxiety and, um, and his hangups get in the way of doing something that he really loved. And I didn't realize how much that meant to me uh, until, you know, until I came back to, you know, until I got into standup of um, trying to be more true to who I am. I avoided standup for a very long time because I don't have a good memory. If you've seen me perform, you might've seen that I have a little piece of paper with me, uh, <laughs> my, my idiot sheet. Uh, and I avoided doing standup because I was so worried I was going to get out there and not know what I had to say. Uh, and it's something which still I have anxiety about. And it, Mitch was someone who he was like, this is a thing that I love doing and I love sharing. And even if I have to do it in a way that's a little bit different, um mm. that's okay because i get to do i get to do it and you know so i'm incredibly grateful that he did put in the the mahi and he did overcome you know some of those things to, to share that with us wonderful um one also thing john mulaney john mulaney's hilarious john mulaney mm, just oh delightful um, we do. We are lucky, actually. And thank you to anyone that is at this moment listening to this when it's out in uh, <laughs> all good and some average podcast um, channels. We do have comedians that do listen and they do listen to for people like yourself that have got those years of experience either in improv, improv and comedy. For any little tips uh, for raw or, or comedians trying to develop their stuff, any sort of routines and rhythms that you do that you don't mind sort of just passing on? Uh, I think the, the, the biggest, like, so, I mean, my thing is write, perform, riff, rewrite, perform, riff, rewrite, you know, slowly it'll become a set and I don't be afraid of, uh, doing things that, that make you uncomfortable if you think they'll make you a better performer, um, because you, you get better, you will get better at those things. Uh, for me when I first started stand up, 
all the jokes that I wrote, I would go on stage, I would tell that joke and the audience would go, that's not a joke. And then I would panic and I would say something <laughs> and they would laugh because that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up having to be like, oh yeah, I didn't know because not all of us, um, not all of us are gifted. Uh, you know, and there is some people are incredibly gifted. I'm someone who has worked a, a lot to try and do this thing that means so much to me. Uh, one of the really cool um, tools that I was given when I um, started by a friend is write 10 things that you know to be true. So you just make a bullet pointed list, write 10 things that you know that, that are true, grab one of them, do a mind map around it. And I guarantee you, if you've been true to who you are, you just wrote at least five minutes of comedy. Yeah, we had a really interesting experience last week, Matt. We went to an oh, MC yeah, workshop. Put a go. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you for that. Well, thank you, Stephen. Um... <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to call Stephen outside of this because I want to still talk to Stephen. So I'm going to go. All right, no, carry on, by Stephen. No, well, 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 we can it's do. Right, we I'll can... give you another five minutes. I'll give you another no, five minutes, Darren. No, I don't. No, if you don't want to be here, Matt, go. He has no, a no, life. Fine. He has a job. <laughs> well, well, we can do the outro and um, it's and fine. then have a... carry on. Carry on. Just make it quick, Darren. No, I, I was only I was only winding you up. Um, I did have a couple more questions, but I wasn't winding you up. My uh, my last question for Stephen, and, and it's kind of an editable question, is, you know, is there anything else you want to promote? Or is there something coming in the future you'd like to exclusively reveal? Uh, I would, um, I mean, if anyone is listening and they want to see shows, they want to support local performance, then please go to paper goat um, on Facebook. Uh, mm. Paper goat is the social enterprise that I run. Um, and we're all about putting on um, fun shows that are uh, help create more of a dialogue between audience and performers and empower creative uh, people in New Zealand to get on stage, to do this thing that we love to do. Um, uh, and I mean, I think, in the future, you know, just keep an eye out. Uh, we're, the Dice Show, April 23rd. I've always got fun, weird stuff coming up. And hopefully there's just going to be more and more. Uh, and if you're a performer and you're listening to this, um, we get it's hard. We get it. All right. We know it. Uh, be good to each other. Be nice to each <laughs> other. Don't be dicks. If you want to be a dick, go to a different industry, please. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of us in this co community, we want to give people a good time. And a lot of us are dealing with mental health issues. And <laughs> if you want to yeah. be a piece of shit, then, you know, like that, is, that's what forums are for. Go online, be, a, be as big a piece of shit as you want. Um, don't be weird, you know, and have a dialogue, you know, it's, uh, it is so, it, it can be so tiring to, to do this thing that we love doing, but the more that we connect support and love each other, the easier it is. Um, and that's, that goes all the way from, you know, looking out for each other at gigs to, um, if you loved someone set, you know, I don't want to blow your minds, but it is okay to tell them. <laughs> Yeah. If, no! if you like what people are doing, you know, um, be nice about it. All right. And, and don't, and don't message people weird shit. 
you know? Yes. All right. If there's any, I'm sorry, Steve. If there's any guy awesome. comedians I'm out so there sorry. who are like, oh, he told me to tell people if I like their gig. So I better tell some girl that I thought she was hot when she did her sit. No, no, you fucking weirdo. That's no right. time for it, sorry, baby Steven. boy. I'm sorry. I promise I'll fuck up. Is what we know. I'm so sorry. Darren, you, you know that it's not you. Believe it. I, I just, it, comedy is scary and it's fun and it's joyous and it's hard work. And it is something where the more we're there for each other, the more we've got each other's back, then the more we can take fun, exciting risks. You know, uh, it shouldn't be an emotional risk for us to go to a show. <laughs> Yeah, it's scary enough to get on stage and try and make people laugh. Uh, you know, it shouldn't be scary to be in a bar to start with. That's right. Amen, brother. This took Amen. a weird preachy turn at the end. And I but think you've given beautiful. us, uh, no, it's good. And I think you've given us a good, um, a good title for this episode as well, which is Don't Be Weird. Which <laughs> I would, I would argue we're all already weird. So yes. just, just be aware of your weirdness and you know like and try and be as supportive and as accessible as possible awesome that is awesome thank you very much Stephen Lyons. yeah really appreciate guys, it what a what a delight to hang out with you and uh if you're listening to this and i sound like a piece of shit then oh, they just it. edited it uh, that's not what i'm normally <laughs> like i'm normally normally a nice guy <laughs> 